We now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. If you hold your Bibles high up in the air, please say this out loud and strong with me. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I live by His word. Christ is my master, and to Him... I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We're talking about the marketplace mandate, and this is the fourth message in the series. This morning, I want to talk to us about timeless principles for the marketplace. Timeless principles for the marketplace. Uh, essentially, my objective here this morning is to impress on our hearts that there are things from the Word of God, there are principles in the Word of God, or truths from the Word of God that are applicable to the marketplace, that you and I can take with us, or should take with us, to the marketplace, to our places of work, and apply these principles, live by these principles in various workplace scenarios, various things that we face in the marketplace. You know, many of us, uh, we have a default understanding that, you know, in the church I am sheep, in the world I am wolf. <laughs> so when I'm a, among sheep, I behave like a sheep. I do what sheep do. I live by the principles of the word. But when I go into the marketplace, I got to be a wolf among wolves. And so I do what wolves do. A bite, a bark, whatever, you know. I hope the other sheep don't see me being a wolf. But Jesus told us, he said, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. So that's the call, that's the challenge. That even when you go into the marketplace, even when you go into a world, a workplace that may be hostile, you still maintain your identity as sheep without getting eaten, of course. <laughs> you still live by the truths that we learn and discover from the Word of God in church or as believers. We still live by these things in the marketplace. Now, it is true that the world or the marketplace is very hostile. In many workplaces, there is no right and wrong. You do as the situation requires in order to make sure you meet your goals, you achieve your targets, you make money you're supposed to make. There is no black and white. Everything is gray. There are no absolutes. Everything is relative in many workplace scenarios. And so as a believer, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to live by? Do you just go with the situation as situations demand? Just do what situations dictate or your bosses dictate? Or are there timeless principles that we can live by? And so what I want to challenge you and I is that the Word of God provides us principles, absolutes, that we must carry with us and walk in, live by, in the marketplace, regardless of what situation or circumstance we encounter. And, you know, we could spend hours on talking about various situations and asking questions. So what does the Bible say about this? What am I supposed to do? Uh, how do I handle this? How do I respond? How do I react in such and such situation? We can talk about many of them, but this morning I've just picked out a few that might be of interest to us. I want to just share what the Word of God says concerning those situations, at least some of them. But I encourage you basically to go back with the understanding that the truth I read in the Word are applicable to me in my place of work, regardless of what situation I face, and i got to live by the Word of God. Some of the things we want to talk about this morning are how do we treat employees 
or people who report to you, people that you supervise. As a housewife, you supervise one or two or three servants. How do you treat them? See, even you're not excluded. How do you treat them? In the place of work, you may be a team leader, a project manager, a mid-level manager, senior manager, vice president, whatever. You may oversee two people, five people, ten, hundred, a thousand. Are there certain things that we can take from the word of God that apply to how I treat those who report to me? Those are linked. You want to talk about people and relationships, some very, very basic things on how do I relate to people in the workplace? We want to talk about career growth. What about career growth? What about my promotion? What about my raise? Is there something from the Word of God that I can apply to that? We'll spend a bit of time talking about corporate finance. What does the Bible say about money in the marketplace, about making money, pricing goods and services and so on? And then I'll touch a little bit on work habits, some things that you and I can carry with us to the marketplace. So let's begin talking about, you know, how do we treat employees or people who report to us, who work under our leadership, whom we supervise. You know, some things, again, this is not exhaustive because, you know, each one can take a long time in itself. But I just want to share a few things that you can carry with you. It's very important for us to understand that the Bible teaches us not to use abuse or threats in leading people. No abuse and no threats. You know, you don't experience this, and usually this is what I do when I talk to customers. I try to figure out within the first two, three, four calls or during the course of our interactions, what kind of leadership style this person has. And then you would have encountered several. For instance, you'd have found out, you know, you'd have, I'm just dealing with one person who, for this CEO, everything is urgent. The way they communicate is like, man, it's got to be done now. You know, that's their strategy to make sure you do things. Whether it's urgent or not, it doesn't matter. They just communicate in such a way. There's a huge fire. We need to put it out. Everybody's got to do something. In your mind, you understand the reality of it. You understand where things fall. You know that it's not as urgent as they make it to be. But for them, that's their strategy. That's the leadership style. Everything is now. And then you have others, leaders who whom you interact with, they look down, they talk down to you. It's almost like they're doing you a favor by giving you this opportunity to work for them. So they talk down. That's a strategy. It's like, hey, you better do this because, you know, after all, I'm doing you a favor. I've given you this job. I've given you this project. I've given you this whatever. So they talk down. That's their strategy to get things done out of you. Others have different kinds of leadership style. For example, some who say, you know, who use threats, who use fear as their primary strategy to get things done. If you don't do this by Thursday, something disaster is going to happen to you. You may not get the raise, you may not get the job, it's, your career is on the line, everything. And their whole strategy, their whole leadership style is driven by causing fear and trying to motivate people out of fear. Now here's something that you and I can take into such situation. The Word of God says in Ephesians 6, 9, and you masters, meaning you bosses, supervisors, leaders, employers, do the same thing to them that is employees, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Don't deal with those who report to you by threatening. That's not biblical. That is not what God wants you to do. Amen? So as a housewife, don't tell your cook, we don't come tomorrow, no more job. You know, that's like, you're motivating her through threatening. It's a very basic example. Now translate that to the workplace, where you try to motivate people by threats. Now, I understand there are times when you need to sit down with somebody and say, hey, look, you know, your work is not up to the mark, you're not performing well, you're not, you're not meeting targets, etc. You've got to do that where necessary and do it in the right manner and right attitude, right spirit. But the Bible says, as employers, we need to give up threatening. We don't use threats and abuse as a way to motivate people. We do not do that. Don't exploit. Don't hold back wages. Leviticus, the 19th chapter, the 13th verse says, You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired 
shall not remain with you all night till morning. In other words, give people their due for the work they've done and give it on time. Now, we may not pay people every day. You pay them twice a week, once in two weeks or once a month. But the point that this verse is telling us is you pay people what they do on time. Amen? Now, somebody asked me this question, you know, you're quoting Old Testament scripture, we are New Testament believers. The answer is quite simple. I mean, did you expect God to repeat everything in the Old Testament and the New Testament again? Just because the Testament's changed? Or the covenant said, no. The way I approach it, and we can talk a lot about this, but the way I approach it is that the Old Testament reveals the heart of God in as much as the New Testament does. So that even though I may not take the letter of the law, I got to understand the spirit behind it. What is the principle? What is God's heart in the Old Testament? And live by it. I may not take the letter of the law, but I want to understand what is the heart of God when he spoke those things. And that's why I can read the Old Testament and glean the spirit behind those things and live by it. Amen? And secondly, there are many things that are given in the Old Testament which are not repeated in the New Testament, but we still follow them. For example, the New Testament hardly talks about musical instruments. Right? Probably the only place you read about musical instruments in the New Testament is in heaven. In Revelation. And yet we have no objections for most churches in using musical instruments. But where is it? Where do you find it in the Bible? You find it mostly in the Old Testament. In Psalms and other places. And so we just go with that. People use instruments to worship God. So we do the same thing now in the New Testament. Even though it's not explicitly mentioned many times in the New Testament. And the use of instruments in worshiping God. So we're going to look at several Old Testament scriptures. Don't get offended with me that I'll be quoting from the Old Testament. Get the spirit behind what God is saying. Get the heart of what God is saying here. Jeremiah twenty-two thirteen. 13. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work. You can't get plainer than that. Basically, God is saying, don't exploit people. Now, you might be a team leader. You may not be directly involved in paying people their salaries, but your assessment determines their pay. The review you make is going to determine how much they get paid. So in an indirect manner, you are influencing what they receive. So be just. As a leader, prime manager, as a boss, make sure. That people get their pay. A due reward for their service. Let's talk about people and relationships. Many of the basic principles that we have learned as believers concerning relating to one another, we can take into the marketplace. Like I said earlier, it's not just meant for church. It's not just meant for interacting with believers. You take the same things, we take the same things, and live by the same things in the marketplace. Let's run through several of them. Be a peacemaker. Jesus said, you're blessed when you're a peacemaker. Are you a peacemaker in your place of work? Or are you a troublemaker? Are you known to disrupt team meetings? Or are you the one who brings people together? Are you a peacemaker? Loving people. You love people in the workplace. Yes, you might be competing with one another. You're all going up the same ladder, competing for the business, etc., etc. But we still walk in love. Forgiveness. Forgiving people in your place of work. Your boss who's been unfair, forgive. Your colleague who didn't treat you right, forgive. Your team member who didn't give you the information you needed, forgive. Don't hold it against them. Amen? It's things we've all learned and heard over and over again. It's just that we didn't think about taking them to the marketplace in our place of work and living by the same things. Do as you would have done to you. For example, would you want some, one of your team members to hold back information from you so that your report doesn't look as good as theirs or as good as what they can do? You wouldn't want them to do, do that to you. So the same manner, you don't hold back information 
from your team members or other people that you're working with, just because if they do get that information, they will have a good result, a good output, and maybe they get the promotion, not you. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. Even if it is going to bless them, bless their career, bless their uh, growth in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the corporate world, in their office. Do good to them. Be a good friend in the marketplace. People may be successful, wealthy, but also they could be very lonely. You be a good friend to them. Be helpful. Here are interesting verses from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 22 verses 1 and 4. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him lift them up again. And somebody thinking, man, my brother has no donkey, no ox. Forget it. This doesn't apply. Now, in the Old Testament, the donkey, the ox represented means of work. It was, it was related to work. The means of livelihoods. So what God is essentially telling us is, if you see some, your, your brother, your friend, your neighbor, and something detrimental is happening to his professional life, to his means to earn a living, be there for him. Help him out. That's what essentially the heart of God is through these verses. Be helpful. Be careful in your speech. Colossians 4, 6 tells us, let your speech always be seasoned with salt. Meaning, be careful of what you say. You know, when you're sitting in meetings, talking to customers, various situations, things can get heated up. The blame game can start. It's because of this. It's because of you. And because of this, uh, that we didn't meet our targets. We couldn't finish things on time, etc., etc., etc. Things can get really intense. And that's when you want to get out and send a nasty email to the whole team, blast them all. Or do something that you want to get, give them a piece of your mind. But remember the Bible says, be careful with your speech. Let it be seasoned with salt. Be careful what you're going to do. Think about the reactions, the repercussions, the consequences of what you're saying or what you might express through an email or a phone call. Stay away from scorners. You know, in almost every workplace environment, you'll find people who gripe and complain about just about everything. Oh, this is such a bad place to work. We don't have... All these things we're supposed to have in the workplace. There's no AC. There's no you know, lights and the power's not there. Whatever. People can gripe and complain. And the Bible tells us, do not sit in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the man who doesn't sit in that seat of the scornful, the complainer. The one who always finds what is wrong with things. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. And then you'll receive the blessing of God. So you make a deliberate choice, even there are people around you are scorning it and uh, making negative remarks and criticizing and insulting the boss or whatever. You know, they've got so many things to complain. You make a deliberate choice not to sit in the seat of the scornful. If there's anything that you're going to say, it's going to be good. Now, you're most welcome to have suggestions for improvements, things that you want to suggest, how things can be improved. That's good. But give it in a right manner. Give it in a positive way. So for the, for the betterment of your office or your, your place of work, of your organization, that's always good. But to sit and criticize is sitting on the seat of the scornful. And the Bible teaches us not to do that. Receive correction and discipline well. There will be times when your supervisors, your bosses, those on leadership that you report to, will need to come to you and correct you. And how you respond to that is so important. Receive correction well in the workplace. They may not be spiritual people, they may not be pastors and others, but they're still your leaders. And the Bible teaches us to receive that correction correctly, rightly. Knowing that it's meant for the corporate good, it's meant for the, the betterment of the organization, and that's why they're bringing in this correction, 
this change that they expect of us. And here's a tough one. Honor your bosses. Even bad bosses. Even unfair bosses. Honor them. First Timothy chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 says, Let as many bond servants or employees as are under the yoke or that are employed count their own masters, their bosses, supervisors, employers, worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his word, his doctrine, may not be blasphemed. Meaning, honor those over you in your place of work. Honor them. Give them respect. It didn't say honor only the good ones. Honor the boss, those in leadership. And verse 2, and those who have believing masters, meaning if your boss also happens to be part of APC, if your boss also happens to be a believer, if your manager also happens to be a child of God, he says, and those who are believing bosses, let them not despise them because they are brethren. I mean, don't treat them lightly just because he's a believer. Don't take advantage of that. If your company procedure says, you know, you've got to apply for leave five days before you take your vacation. Hey, my manager, he's, he's, he's a brother in the Lord. So what do you do? That morning, send him a text message. Hi, bro. Not coming to work today. I need to go and pray. Don't do that. Don't take advantage of the fact that your boss is your brother. Don't do that. Follow the complete policy. Do what is required of you in that office. So don't despise. Don't treat him lightly just because he's your brother. But rather serve them or work under his leadership because you are benefited as a believer. And Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, I want you to teach and exhort such things in the church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 21, it says, Servants or employees, be submissive to your masters, your employers, your bosses with all fear, meaning giving honor, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Honor your bosses, not only to the nice and soft ones, but even to the harsh ones. I know some of you are thinking, man, I wish I didn't come to church today. Verse 19. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Meaning, this is something God appreciates. God himself commands. That if you, because you want to keep a clear conscience toward God, you honor your boss, even though he's harsh. Even though sometimes he's rude, he's rough. You just honor, you go with it. You endure hardship, even though you're suffering wrongfully. It's commendable. God admires it. Verse 20. For what credit is it? If when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So when there is difficulty, when there is challenge, when it's hard, and yet you choose to keep a clear conscience before God, go with things, give honor to your boss, you respect. You know, God commends it. It's commendable before God. Amen? See, these are things you don't learn in your MBA. It's in the Bible. Psalm 103 verse 6 says, The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So if you are mistreated, if you are treated unfairly in your workplace, look to the Lord because God will execute. God will send a divine intervention into your place of work. You don't need to take things into your own hands. He will send righteousness and justice for everyone who is being mistreated, who is being oppressed, who is being treated unfairly. He'll do it. Amen? Let's talk about career growth. As believers in the marketplace, as we said in our very first message, it is right for us to desire to succeed, desire to be promoted, desire to grow professionally. There's nothing wrong with that. Profit motive is not wrong before God. Your desire to ascend in, the, in your professional life is not wrong. But here are some scriptures. Here are some 
things that you and I can take to this context. In Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, For promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west, but it is the Lord who puts down one and raises up another. In other words, promotion comes from God, and God knows how to make room for you to be promoted. Do you believe that? He can do it for you. So as a believer in the marketplace, but everybody is trying to grow as quickly as they can and go up the corporate ladder as soon as they can. Here's where you repose your faith that my God will bring promotion for me. Amen? He'll do it. Promotion does not come from the east or from the west. It comes from the Lord. So you put your heart and eyes to the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to be promoted and I ask you that you'll do it for me in your way. You do it for me. I'll be a good employee. I'll give my best. And I'll, I'll give more than my best. But I'm looking to you for growth and increase professionally. But you say, you know, but my workplace is so unfair. My boss always tells me I'm doing a good job. And, but when it comes to performance review time, he gives me ratings that are unfair, that are not accurate. They don't describe what I really have put in the whole year. And then for his favorites, he gives them a higher rating than what they've actually done. And it is true that these kind of scenarios happen over and over again in the place of work. How do you respond? What should you and I do as believers? I'd like to remind you about Jacob and Laban, an Old Testament story. There's nothing wrong with working for your uncle if you want to. Just that Jacob didn't find it too good. To work for his uncle. His uncle was very unfair. Made him work seven years for a certain reward and didn't give it to him at the end of seven years. Made him work another seven years. Exploited him. Took advantage of him. Of a situation. Run away from home. No place to go back. So totally exploited him for 14 years. But then the time of divine intervention came. God gave Jacob a single idea. And in a matter of few months, he got back everything that was owed to him for 14 years, plus a whole lot more. And he said, uncle, thank you very much. I'm going back to my native. <laughs> thank you very much, uncle. I'm going home. And he departed. When God intervened, God gave him everything that was deprived or held back from him for 14 years and a whole lot more in a matter of a few months. Do you believe God can do that in today's world? He can. So when you're looking to God for promotion, don't let the passage of time rob you of your simple faith in God. Trust in him. And say, God, and things are rough, things are unfair. But my promotion comes from you. And you will vindicate me. And I know when you do it, you'll do it real good. You'll do it well. So I'm going to maintain a good heart. I'm going to work and give my best. I'm going to do what I know I should be doing in my place of work. Let's talk about corporate finance here. There are several Old Testament scriptures that basically bring about a very simple truth concerning pricing products and services. It may seem very elementary to us, but not many people actually practice it. What God really wants us to do when we price products and our services, and some of you may be, you know, in sales, in marketing, in uh, accounts, whatever, and you're indirectly or indirectly involved in determining the price of the value of your goods or your services that you release to your customers. Here are some things to keep in mind that really God wants us to give good value at a fair price. This may seem very elementary, but we don't take this to heart in the real world. In Leviticus, the 19th chapter, verses 35 and 36, here's what the Bible says. 
You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. Don't cheat in these things. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, and honest ephah, and honest him. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, I know none of you, you know, you're not sitting before your computer holding a weight in the scale and saying, how much software have I developed, you know. You're not doing that, of course. But the point that God is telling us here is, be fair, be honest, be right in how you price your goods or services. In your measurement, in your estimation of what you're doing, be fair, be right. Amen? Let's look at some of scripture on this. Leviticus 25, 14. And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. Meaning in this whole trading, in, in buying and selling, don't oppress, don't abuse. Don't take advantage. Don't deal unjustly in your buying and selling of your goods and services. Deuteronomy 25. Verses 13 to 16. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a heavy and a light. Okay, let me see who's coming. Oh, that guy's coming. Man, he's getting out of a Mercedes. Let me take the, you know, let, let me take the, what's it, the heavy one, the light or whatever. You know, the one that makes him pay more, you know. Oh, God's saying, you know, don't do that kind of stuff. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure, that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously, are an abomination to the Lord your God. Ours don't have differing weights and measures. Don't show partiality. Don't be unfair to your customers. Be honest. Good value at a fair price. And all financial transactions keep everything above boards. I like what Proverbs 11.1 1 says. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Again, translate that to today's context. You and I are not using scales and weights, but basically it has to do with how you price, how you sell. God says, don't be dishonest in that. I like what the Message Bible, how the Message Bible renders it. It says, God hates cheating in the marketplace. He loves it when business is above board. Another important thing when it comes to money in the marketplace is avoid greediness or trying to make a quick buck. I mean, all over the world, not just in India, all across the Western world and even in other parts of the world, other nations. There are stories of huge corporates that have collapsed because of mismanagement, financial mismanagement, where few people, because of their attempt to make quick money, did certain things, and whole organizations came tumbling down. Organizations that at one point were just great names, great organizations to work for, be a part of. Today, their names carry shame, are associated with financial fraud. And the sizes have come, come down. Organizations that had tens of thousands of employees today are barely a thousand people. And it's happened all over the world. Look at some scriptures here. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished. But he who gathers by labor will increase. You work for it. You earn it. You're safe. Proverbs 15 and verse 27. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house or his own organization. But he who hates bribes will live. Now talking about bribes. There are bribes the way the government office does it. <laughs> it's plain and direct. 
They want your money. If you want to give something done. But then the bribes that take place in the corporate world are a little sophisticated. They don't come as bribes. They come packaged in nice packages. And you call them as gifts. You call them as awards. You call them as, you know, whatever. Now, there is nothing wrong if an organization that you're partnering with, working with, they, at the end of the year, they want to honor all their partners or vendors or suppliers, and, and they call everybody, give them a, you know, a, a award or a memento or something that they want to say thank you. I mean, that's absolutely fine. But what a corporate bribe really is, is something that's given to you that will influence your decision. If something is given to you, maybe as a gift, but it influences your decision, it's a corporate bribe. Proverbs 17, 23. A wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the ways of justice. So this is what is a bribe. It perverts your decision. So even something in a corporate world that may come in a very sophisticated way, as a gift, as a, as a token of appreciation, if it's going to affect your decision, it's a bribe. Deuteronomy 16, 19. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe. For bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the word of the righteous. Do not trust in oppression. Psalm 62, 10 says, do not trust in oppression. Now vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Don't build on oppression. By wrongly using people, don't gain wealth through inappropriate or incorrect means, robbery. Don't set your heart on these kinds of riches. Don't set your heart on riches. So here are a few things concerning money in the marketplace for you and I to live by. I want to go to the last section that I want to deal with this morning before we close. I want to talk about work habits. As we go into the marketplace, here are some work habits that we must carry with us to our places of work. Diligence or hard work. There is no substitute for diligence. There is no substitute for hard work, even for a believer. Got to work hard, be diligent. Ecclesiastes 9, 10 says, whatever you find to do, whatever you put your hand to do, do it with all your hearts. Put your heart into it. And Proverbs 10.4 says, The hand of the diligent maketh rich. It brings increase. He becomes poor who deals with a slack hand. Hard work is a good work habit. Being diligent in what you were assigned to do. Giving it your very best. Should be normal for us. Accountability. Being faithful in what is another man's and what is another's. In Luke 16, 9 through 12, Jesus gave us important statements again concerning the marketplace. He had just finished giving the parable of the unjust steward, a man who mismanaged his funds and then had to take some corrective action. And after he gives us that parable, he makes certain statements. Jesus says, If you're faithful in little things, you'll be entrusted in big things. If you're faithful, in the unrighteous mammon, in money, you'll be entrusted with true riches. If you're faithful in what is another man's, you will be given your own. So take, for example, you're part of a team, and there's a team leader above you. You know, most of us will have the attitude, you know, I'm waiting to be a team leader one day myself, and then I'll set things right. But now this guy's leading the team, he's not fit for anything. I'll give, you know, I'll just... I won't support him. I won't give him my best. And that's not the way to do it. You have to be faithful in what is another man's. He's the leader. This is his team. Be faithful in it. Give it your best. And if you're faithful in what is another man's, then you'll be entrusted with what is your own. One day you'll have a team to lead. But we think of, you know, okay, wait till I am the leader one day. Wait till I become the manager. Wait till I become the boss. Then I'll give my best. No, 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 no. Give your best now. When you are part of what is another man's, 
then you'll be entrusted with what is your own. Be faithful in little things, then you'll be entrusted with much. Maybe in your place of work, in your team, you're given a little, small little thing to do, seems insignificant, but do it faithfully. And you do it faithfully because you know that when you're faithful in little things, you'll be entrusted with bigger things. An interesting statement Jesus made, he said, if you're faithful in the unrighteous mammon, you will be trusted with eternal riches. You know, in our minds, we've separated money and spiritual leadership. But in God's mind, he hasn't. How you handle your money, what you do with your money, is going to determine whether God can entrust you with spiritual things, with true riches. Amen? It's biblical. He said, you be faithful in the unrighteous mammon, and you'll be committed with true riches, with eternal things. Another work habit that you and I can take is Christ-like leadership that transforms our workplace. Jesus made the statement in Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28. He was teaching his disciples about leadership. He said, you look at the leaders of the world, how they boss it over their people. I mean, they make sure everybody knows that they're in charge. But Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, but it shall not be so among you. I mean, this is not the kind of leaders you're supposed to be. He said, in the kingdom of God. Whoever is greatest, let him be the least. Whoever is a leader, let him be the servants. That's Christ-like leadership. Amen? The leaders of the world, they push, punish, and make themselves known that they're leaders. But a Christ-like leader, he leads by serving the people, leads by looking out for the well-being of his people. I'm not saying he's a spineless person, but I'm saying he's a strong leader, but he's got his right hearts. Amen? I like what Bill Johnson says. He says, you serve with the heart of a king. You lead with the heart of a servant. Amen? You lead with the heart of a servant. You serve with the heart of a king. You've not lost your value just because you're serving the people whom you lead. Amen? And when people see such kind of leadership, whether it's a team leader, a project manager, whatever role you are, when people see this kind of leadership, it's going to get their attention. They say, how come you are different from all the other managers, from all the other team leaders that I've had to work for? How come you are different? It gives you an opportunity to tell them why you're different. And that kind of Christ-like leadership will transform the workplace. And lastly, another important work habit that you and I must carry is to honor God and serve people with money. At the end of the day, you work hard, you make money. Two important things to do with money. Honor God and bless people. Honor God, which means give your tithes, which is 10%, and your offerings to the work of God. Amen? Now, I know some of you are thinking, man, this is tough. Think about it. You know, I'm in the 20%, 30% tax bracket. Money goes, 30% goes off. And then after, I still have to give another 10% to church. And then offerings. And you look at the unbeliever. Say, how lucky for him. He doesn't have to give tithes. No offerings. He gets to keep all that money. I have to give tithes. Offerings. But what did God say? He said, you know, you bring all the tithes in. And I will open for you the windows of heaven. And I will pour out on you such blessing. You won't have room enough to receive it. So the way you and I have to think is, you know, I'm blessed when I tithe and give to God. Because my God can give to me more than what money can buy. Amen? So you're really not at a loss. When you tithe and you give your offerings for the work of God, God's going to bless you. Look at these scriptures in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions. And with the first fruits of all your increase. Honor God with your money. So your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. Proverbs eleven twenty four. There is one who scatters yet increases more. There is one who withholds more than is necessary. And it leads to poverty. Bless people with your money. Bless somebody's life. Scatter, it says, and you'll still increase. 
But you tend to withhold. It leads to poverty. Give to somebody. Bless somebody with what you receive, what you've earned. Bless somebody's life. Here's what Jesus said in that same passage in Luke 16. He said, use your money to make friends, to establish relationships, to build relationships. So that when your money fails, they, your friends, will receive you. What do you do with money? He said, use the unrighteous mammon to make friends, to bless lives. So when it fails, when money fails, people will be there for you. People that you've blessed will be there for you. Amen? And you and I will agree that there are some things money cannot buy. That only comes through people who love and care. So when you have the money, bless them. Bless their lives. Proverbs 22 verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. As you honor God, walk in Walk humbly before God. He has promised riches, honor, and life. And no matter how much we prosper, let's remain faithful to our God. We will not be moved. Amen? We've just touched on an assortment of truths from the Word of God concerning a couple of areas of our life in the marketplace. What I really want to impress on us is there's a whole lot more in the Bible that we can take with us as we go out into the place of work, live by those principles. It's not going to be easy because others around you are not doing the same thing. But you dare to stand by the word of God. You dare to live by these timeless truths. And then you see God come through for you. Amen? The taste of that kind of victory is incomparable to anything else. Let's stand to our feet. This morning, I just want us to take some time to pray and say, God, I really want to live by the words in the marketplace. I really want to live by the truth of your words in my place of work. And maybe as you heard the word of God this morning, there were Some things you know you need to talk to God about. You need to get right with God. Maybe it's how you relate to your colleagues in the workplace. Maybe it's how you relate to your supervisor, your boss, your team leader, your manager. Maybe it's what you do as a salesperson in in your efforts to sell your products or your services. Maybe this morning you need to make some adjustments to that. Or maybe what you do when you receive gifts, corporate gifts as it's called, how you relate to those kinds of situations. I don't know in what way you need to respond this morning. But take some time right now between you and the Lord. To say, yes, God, I heard the truth. I heard the words. And give me the grace to go live by it in my place of work. Will you take some time to pray? Just to wait upon God. Respond to what you heard this morning. Father, we just pray for the grace to live by your word. To believe by these timeless truths in the marketplace. To stand against the grain. To live by the absolutes of your word. The courage to go against the flow. Lord God to if need be suffer a little in order to receive your commendation to receive your approval in our lives
We ask for the grace to do it. Father, even now we pray for those who might be in various circumstances and situations in the workplace that are challenging, that may be unjust, may be unfair. And we ask for your intervention. We ask for your hand to come through because your word says that you execute righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed. For those who are being treated wrongly. God, you would come through. So we ask for your intervention. In such situations and circumstances, God. Father, we ask for promotion to be released. For increase to come. For blessing on people who stood the test of time, who've been faithful in what they've been doing, who've been giving their work wholeheartedly. We ask for your blessing of promotion, your blessing of increase to come in their lives, Father. We thank you, O God. you are faithful that you will come true and we bless you and we honor you God let's close together this morning Father we give you thanks for what you've done for what you're doing increase your work and be glorified in our lives we pray In Jesus' name. Arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Though darkness cover the earth and deep darkness the people. Yet the Lord shall arise upon you. And his glory will be seen upon you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.